Welcome to the In Search of More podcast. I am your host, Ellie Nash. Join me weekly on my quest for more, more from myself and more from this world. We'll see you on the other side. Okay. All right. Welcome, Natanya. Thank you. So I'm sitting here with uh, Natanya Light. Natanya Light, amongst other things, is also my sister-in-law, your mm-hmm. sister, Frady, and I have been married for a number of years. So that is how we that is how we met, but that's not the basis of you sitting here because um, last I checked, there's four other people on the planet who also have the same credentials, right? My wife's sister. So you're here because of your journey and your story, which we'll get into. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So I I think before we go into much, probably best to address the elephant in the room. This is way outside of your comfort zone. Not that you look uncomfortable, but that you... Like knowing you, you know, a couple of years ago when you're doing more of your interior design work, it was uncomfortable for you to post something on Instagram. And today you're sitting down and recording conversations. So I know it's not your, your nature and your, like you're not in your comfort zone completely. So True. I figured to address that. So what's up? Um, yes, this is very much outside my comfort zone. And um actually finding myself using a lot of tools that I've picked up along the way to be comfortable in a moment of discomfort. So I'm feeling comfortable in the discomfort. At the same time, uh, I acknowledge that it is uncomfortable for me. And um, I'm a very private person. I shy away from being in the spotlight. And um, I get a little bit uncomfortable when there's too much attention on me. And I, I very much prefer one-on-one interactions or small group interactions. And the thought of this being put out to you know, a large audience is where my discomfort lies. I, I, I love having a one-on-one conversation. So I'm this good is this. a one-on-one conversation. <laughs> and, and so that's what I'm focusing on. Like this is a one-on-one conversation and just really not focusing on the other part of it. Um, the reason that I accepted this um i don't know how to call it this invitation yeah invitation and uh was really about something that was bubbling up inside of me and a message i was hearing about that it's time to speak and share something uh, about what I've been learning. And so that's why I'm here to share that. And I don't really even know exactly what's going to be shared. I didn't prepare what I'm speaking about. And my prayer is that whatever wants to be shared, that's that was driving me to accept this invitation will be expressed and shared. fully. Amen. Okay. So what I'll say is it's it's my job during this conversation to make like the whole back half of the room disappear. The microphone, the lights, the computers in the back. Obviously not everyone's seeing that, but there is that in order to get this production. So if I do my job correctly, then those should disappear pretty quickly. So Great. number one. Um, in terms of, you know, I've had this thought that the people who should be talking are the ones who don't naturally want to speak like those who my whatsapp status says be still when you have nothing to say 
when genuine passion moves you, say it and say it hot. That's some quote from someone. And I think that, um, I mean, the reason it speaks to me, I, I as well can be like quiet, right? People who only know me on the podcast will see me talking all the time, but I'm not, that's not who I am regularly. I'm mm-hmm. often not talking at all. But when genuine passion moves me, I say it and I say it hot. And I, th- I think that a lot of people who talk for other purposes, like some people talk for a connection or they talk for distraction or they talk whatever, for whatever. So they end up being comfortable in these settings. Like I wasn't actually comfortable in these settings. Those aren't necessarily the people who, I don't want to talk about them. They should, everyone should talk. We are not trying to silence anyone. But the people who don't naturally gravitate to the mic may deserve it more than anyone else. Mm-hmm. So I also have a second theory which I've shared, but it's been a while since I shared it, so I'll share it again, is that like no one, no one really enters the world quiet. You know, like there's no baby who's afraid to cry for his bottle, right? So no, no one enters the world quiet, wouldn't survive our first year of life. We weren't. But certain people speak from different places. Mm-hmm. So some people speak like kind of from like almost like the tip of their tongue, you know, like it wasn't, it wasn't a very deep thought. And other people speak from their depth so someone who speaks from their tip, from the tip of their tongue, if that's rejected, it's not personal. So they're never silenced because mm-hmm. they're only talking from the tip of their tongue. Mm-hmm. But people who speak from their depths, if you know they've thought about something and it's like coming from a deep place and then they share it and that gets rejected, so then that feels very personal. And those are the people more likely to be silenced. I have that. I think, yeah, I agree with that. <clears throat> okay, good. Yeah, very much. Okay, so now you have permission to um, <laughs> permission to speak. Okay, so let's let's talk a little about your story. You live in LA today. Uh, um, recently, you started leading workshops, retreats, stuff at your home, like in healing, right? But there's two ways people get into the space of healing. One is they decide to go to four years of college at 20, 21 years old because I'm sure they've had journey in the past. They get some sort of credentials and they say I have these credentials and therefore. Right. And others do it through um, hard knocks of life. I know you didn't do it through the credentials, so let's get into your story mm-hmm. um, a little bit. Where do you want to start? Childhood, adulthood? Like, where in the story should we should we pick up? Like, what 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 in your story do you feel is important that led you to becoming? Let's use the word healer for lack of a better term. Oh, where to start? Um, I guess I can start with some elements of my childhood because it will help illuminate part of how I got here. Um, I'm one of nine kids and I'm third oldest. So I was born into motherhood, so to say, a combination of my nature of just I'm a natural nurturer and uh, super sensitive to the feelings and and needs of those around me. And um, having six younger siblings and just always being in that role for as long as I can remember. Um, But before I even go into that part of it, um, something that I re-remembered recently about my myself as a child is that um, I really, really, really loved being in nature. 
And that was where I felt the most at home and the most relaxed. And what did that look like as a child? Um, as, and so as a child, um, what I re-remembered and what I saw was I really didn't get enough of that. And, and my parents were nature people and they would take us on nature hikes and, and do things out in nature with us. And so I give them a lot of credit for that because I'm sure that really nourished me and, and gave me a lot. But, um, you know, seeing myself as a child being in a classroom with bright fluorescent lights and stuck in a hard chair at a desk. Um, I didn't know it as a kid, but I see it now. I mean, I didn't, I couldn't express that knowing right. as a kid, but looking back now and seeing my, how really where I thrived and, and felt at peace and felt like I can be myself and uh, was in nature. And so, yeah, that looked like being in the backyard and swinging on the swing and being in the grass and, uh, you know, sledding down the front yard in the winter and, uh, so from, from my early childhood, I was always very deeply connected to nature. Why is that an important detail? It's an important detail because what my journey has brought me to, a lot of it, it has to do with nature and plants and, um, our connection with nature and how us as, as the human species forgetting our connection to nature has, is really a big part of the cause for a lot of sickness in this world. Right. And our disconnection from yeah, it. We think there's nature and then us. They think yeah, we think we're we're separate from nature and we're we're inter we are nature just as much as a tree is nature. So our forgetting that has really caused us a lot of sickness. Yeah, a few weeks ago we went and you probably know cuz you know. Uh so my family went like on a camping trip and there was nothing. It's this company called Getaway. And they have these little, I don't know if called containers or something that they have in the forest. They'll put like 40 or 50 of them. Then you rent it out and mm -hmm. you're there. And there's, I mean, it's stocked. It's nice. It's clean. But there's no real food and there's nothing there to do in the campgrounds. Like absolutely nothing. Outside of a little fire pit, there's nothing. And the kids were more entertained there than with any amount of toys that we have the weekend just sitting there playing with the rocks and the sand and the branches and the trees. Like that was I mean, endless hours yeah. of um, amusement. And I was like, wow, they should make toys this good. Like yeah. if only they made a toy that could captivate children for as long as rocks and sand could. Yeah. And, and listen, God gave, God gave us these toys for, for our children. And then we go and manufacture plastic toys. And <laughs> anyway, yeah, totally. Okay, so that was the, the so, nature portion. And in so, terms of the. So, yeah, so that piece ends up being important to where I am now because on my journey of um, learning more about myself and where it is that. that I can offer something to this world, nature happens to be a big part of it. Meaning as part of your healing and working with, as part of your healing and working with other people, you're also incorporating nature as much as possible Yeah. into that. Yeah, and not just, I'm not talking just about nature and plants and trees and the sun. And, you know, these are all healing tools, um, but also us as nature. 
understanding our own experience here through the lens of nature. Say more. Um, there's many things to say about it. Um, I'll go into um, women. Okay, Let, I'll just zone in on the 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 menstrual cycle. Right. Um, this is a natural cycle that happens for women, and it's very very it's a very important part of our life that Western society has done a very good job at disconnecting women from. It's something that is um, an inconvenience. It's annoying. We we complain about it. We dread it coming. Um, we, we, we don't want to look at what comes out of our, our body, and definitely the men in our lives don't want to look at it and don't want to have anything to do with it. And so there's all this negativity thrown at a natural cycle that is what I see as one of the most beautiful natural cycles there there is. And once I opened myself up to seeing what it was about, the the beauty of it and the sacredness of it and um, the gift of it every month has been life trans transforming for me. And I I really do my best to share about it with as many women as I as I come into contact with because um, it's just like such a beautiful thing we were given that completely gets thrown in the garbage if we're not aware of it and if it's being looked at through the lens that Western society has kind of like taught us interesting and it does right it does follow like a I know like women will off, often menstruate like on, on the moon like the full moon or something like sometimes be connected to it. Yeah, but yeah. Regardless, so, it's a part of the. It's yeah, that's a, a big part of it. Like actually, like there, I, I can speak about it for for three hours. Um, Let's not do three hours, but I want to hear something about it. <laughs> but I, I don't want it to be just about that today. It's you know, yeah. but uh, I can do a separate podcast about that. Maybe <laughs> if if women want to know about it and if men are interested. Uh, but you had me correct when you um, grouped me in the you know the men category just a few minutes ago. So. Oh yes, yeah. but, but but I'm interested in hearing some. Yeah, yeah, and it's um, for me reconnecting to what that cycle is and why it comes, and the gift that it is, has changed my entire relationship with it. Has I I I don't take Advil anymore for my cramps. It it helped me to rewire my entire relationship with pain um and it's given me a, a true appreciation for it it's like i'm i'm excited and happy for this process and i understand the gift that it is and so that's that nature piece that i'm tuning into about myself that it lights me up and i'm passionate about it like seeing all of our own cycles uh, and our own bodies as nature, our own processes right. as nature. Uh, and when we understand the nature, then we can work with it instead of working against it. And then things in our life just start to flow because we're working with the actual cycles of nature that God created. And why are we fighting against our own nature? Okay, so actually... Um I, I do have interest in it for a couple of reasons. Number one, 
um, like I've kind of shared here, you know, through the podcast that like I've been kind of on my own journey with, um, with Judaism, whether it's adding Shabbos or being a little more careful with kosher or things like that. And as part of that recently, um, my wife and I, Freddie and I have been more careful with like kind of these, the laws around family purity as well. So understanding some of these things as well, like it has been something coming up in my personal life. So that's interesting. Mm -hmm. But secondly, there was, um, I was speaking to, and maybe this would be a good way to ask the question that can have you further elaborate on some of the, some of the points. So I was speaking to Michael DeSanti. Mm -hmm. Michael leads sweat lodge ceremonies. As you may know, he was here on the podcast not long ago. And one of the things he spoke about is that if he's leading women through a sweat lodge, so he'll have the women sit outside the tent. And this is not his thing. He was trained in the Lakota tradition, um, leading sweat lodge ceremonies. And if a woman is on her period, then they don't come into the sweat lodge. Mm -hmm. And he said one is obviously physically, right? They're losing blood and it's not as safe. But he, he said this, the, the main reason, like the spiritual reason, is that there is the sweat lodge is meant for a cleansing and purification. And the woman is going through her own cleansing and purification mm -hmm. at the moment. So there's no reason to, there's, there's no reason to do it in the sweat lodge, but actually being right around the sweat lodge could have a, um, a very profound experience. And he's, he gave some stories of people who actually did. I mean, they came to a sweat lodge ceremony with him. They were disappointed when he told them, Hey, if you're on your period, you can't be inside the, inside the sweat lodge. And he just said, listen, participate in the ceremony, listen to the songs. Just, you're just going to do it right outside the lodge. Like you're right there. You're on the fire. You're, you're in this experience. You're just not in the lodge. You're out of the lodge. Mm -hmm. And he said afterwards they shared they had profound experiences and he was connecting that to them being on, it's like you have your internal purification process going. You don't need the external of the sweat lodge. Yeah. Does that, does that jive with some of what you've understood? Very, about very process? much, very much. Uh, what I've come to learn about it is that we as women get the opportunity every single month to go through our own personal ceremony of cleansing and purification. And it's not just the physical element of it. Yes, there's the physical element of cleansing and purifying and, and purging like that, which is no longer needing to be held onto by the body. And it's very, very much a spiritual ceremony as well, where we get, if we're tapped in to what's happening, we have the ability to cleanse and purify all the energies that we have stored throughout the month and release them and release them and release them. And um, the womb is, is a, it's a container, it's an empty space. And the womb holds a lot of our energy that we don't process and that we hold onto. And so it's not an accident that the womb goes through the process every month and that's where energy is stored. And, and then we get to cleanse and purify. And once that ceremony is complete, there's this beautiful empty space physically and spiritually for a woman to now start her new month with, okay, I have all this space here. What do I want to create this month? What sort of energies do I want to bring in? What sort of energies do I want to work with? Uh, what do I want to create this month? And so it's really a time to connect with that energy of creation. And so every month we get to go through this process, like our bodies in a way are forcing us to go through it and, and we have and inviting us to come along for the opportunity to 
okay, cleanse, purify, now fresh. What do I want to create now? So we're constantly going through the process of creation, cleansing, purifying, creation. And how do you understand the pain and discomfort as part of this process? If you do. If you do. Yeah. Uh, so the pain reminds me that I'm alive and the gift that life is and how lucky I am to be here. And the sensation of pain can be interpreted as something negative or it can be interpreted as, wow, how lucky I am that I get to feel. And um, there was a time in my life uh, where I completely blocked myself from being able to feel as a protective mechanism uh, for not wanting to feel, to, for not wanting to get hurt anymore. So I just built a shield around myself and actually being inside that shield, yes, it protected me from getting any further hurt, but it also blocked me from being able to feel. Uh, for 10 years, I wasn't even able to cry. Huh. And I am a, pr a very watery person. I cry very easily. I can see a commercial and start crying. I can think something about something and start crying. And, and, and that, so that was a big indication for me, like something was being blocked and stopped. Um, You're like super duper power Advil. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, just, just <laughs> Advil'd my whole entire system. Right. And uh, when I started to recognize that, that that's an issue, like that I, I felt tears wanting to come out and I, they couldn't come out. And so I started to little by little break through that very, very thick shield that I had, that I had put up to protect myself. And when I started being able to feel again, started being able to cry again, there was no better feeling in the world. Even if it was pain, even if it was tears, I welcomed it. It was like, wow, like actually not feeling was so much more painful than feeling pain. Yeah. Because I wasn't, it wasn't just pain that I was able to feel. Now I was able to feel joy. Now I was able to feel gratitude. Now I was able to feel pride. Now I was able to feel so many things that I was completely blocked from feeling. And so uh, feeling pain when I have my cycle now, it's, I welcome, listen, like, I'm not saying, here, give me pain, give me <laughs> right, pain. I'm not asking for pain, but it does come along with my cycle. That's that's how it is with me. So I I accept it and and welcome it, and I love on it. I said, thank you, because the pain reminds me I'm alive. It reminds me that I can feel, and it reminds me that I carry this beautiful uh, ability to carry life. It, and I have carried life. I have two incredible daughters, and it reminds me, like, it connects me with them every month as well. Like, wow, because of this cycle, I was able to bring these beautiful souls into the world. So the, the pain is still there, but my experience of it is, is completely different. In recovery, I had a friend who used to say, uh, pain is required, suffering is optional. Yeah, I heard that a few years back, and I it really, it, it gave me a lot of, it was, it was a, a golden nugget for me. Right. Yeah. I mean, today, I, I mean, you as well, a lot of the modalities I work with, and I'm sure you, you work with, have a component of pain mm -hmm. in it, whether it's the cold or the heat or even rape, you know, which has a, a burning <laughs> sensation at the beginning and, a, you know, sometimes strong pain and many others, right? There is a painful, um, there is, there's pain at the beginning and somehow that's an important part, an important element yeah. of it. So, okay, that's neat. So you mentioned that for a 10-year period, you were 
um, kind of frozen, mm-hmm. right? So what led to that? What were you protecting yourself from? Well, I, so I, going back to more the beginning of my story, I. You're talking about motherhood I, before you detoured into nature. Yeah. So I, you know, as a child, being one of nine kids was overwhelming for me. I see it all now as a kid. Mm-hmm. It was just, it just what it was. It was the only thing I knew. Um, so I see that part of my protective mechanism for the overwhelm of the energy, it was just so much energy for me, was to make a little bit of a wall of protection from the energy to myself. And um, I think that's where it started. Uh, then it got bigger and thicker when I entered into adulthood. I got married really young. I was 19. Uh, I was raised ultra-Orthodox, and that was that was the path. And I, you know, it was what I knew, and it was very exciting and beautiful to me. And, um, you know, I got married. I, it was... I, I was in love. I got married from like a very, very, you know, I, I entered the relationship from a very pure, open place. And uh, the experience for me was, it was hard on me. Um, that the combination of our personalities was, it, it was difficult for me. And uh, we we came from different upbringings. Obviously, every uh, you know, any two people who come together come from different upbringings. And um, and my way of coping with, I guess, his personality was to build this wall of protection. And, um, yeah, and then after more and more and more time passed, I started seeing, like, these indications that something was up. I couldn't cry. Um, I wanted to. I remember going in the bathroom. So this you noticed in your marriage? In my marriage, yeah. yeah. I, remember, yeah. I remember going in the bathroom middle of the night just having so much welling up inside me and sitting on the toilet and the tears couldn't come out. I I scrunched up my face to like make, maybe if I scrunch up my face, it will help the tears come out, but I could, it it, it was stuck. Couldn't come out. Um, And then how did I get there? What was I saying? (laughs) You were talking about how in childhood you, built up a wall and then yeah so you built yes. it a little thicker and stronger exactly during so at that point i realized that the wall was super thick i had no idea how to approach that though um but i did get to a that was the point where it was a turning point in in my internal life where i was 29 years old i had been married for 10 years and i i saw two clear paths ahead of me I recognized that I was feeling very much like a walking dead person. And that experience was horrible. Like I felt like a ghost, um, like walking in the shadows of life. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
And I also felt so disconnected from myself. Like I just didn't know who I was anymore. And, uh, and so I had this, this moment with myself and I look back at this moment. I'm like, wow, like that was a moment of grace. I feel like it was a moment of grace from God to even have experienced a moment like that, to be able to have the vision and see what I saw was grace. And that, that moment was seeing two paths ahead of me. And one path was a life of martyrdom where I just resigned to the reality of my life, of what was, accepted it, and just continued to trudge along in that walking dead person experience. But it wouldn't shake anyone else's life up. It would, you know, keep my kids safe in this family unit, and um, it wouldn't upset my now ex-husband, then husband, and, and then beyond that, our families. And then beyond that, the community and society. When you say shake them up in a negative way. In a negative way. Okay. In a negative way. Uh, you know, the culture I was raised in, Jewish, ultra-Orthodox, uh, religious, Chabad, um, there's a lot of focus on the family unit. And it's all about family. And so divorce is not so, you know, it's not... Even you know, then I, I got I got divorced eight years ago, and this this epiphany or, or vision came to me when I was twenty nine, and now I'm forty one. So that was about twelve years ago. Mm. Um, now it's more accepted as you know, it's a it's, possibility, yeah, yeah. And and then it was it it just seemed to me the thought of it made me almost want to just crumble and die because what I would have to be facing. And what I knew I would have to be facing pretty much on my own because nobody around me would be a fan of it. Right. And be supportive of it. Right. And yeah. I and I knew that. I knew that. And so to be in the position I was in where I felt like a walking dead person, I was I felt like my spirit was hanging by a thread. I felt very, very weak. Weak because I was disconnected from my own power, from my own strength. Uh, I just didn't know how I would do it how I could do it. Right. It's actually right around the time that I came into the, the family. In April will be 12 years since I met Freddie. I mean, we dated for five years before we got married, but mm -hmm. that's when I, I started seeing things. I remember the first time I met you, I observed to Freddie. It wasn't the first time because you were in Miami for something. Um, you're at one of your sister's houses for a Shabbos, and I observed to Freddie that I didn't feel like your voice was your voice. Like it, that disconnection, like it was, it was felt. So yeah, I, yeah, actually, I my kids um, showed me a v little video clip from back when I lived in in Crown Heights when I before I moved to LA 14 years ago, and my girls were maybe two years old and five years old during this video. I think it was one of their birthday parties where the video was taken, and I'm in the kitchen and I'm like holding the cake and I'm like talking to the girls, and it was maybe like a 15 second video. And I watched the video and my heart broke for myself, for myself then, because my voice was so muted. It was such a whisper. And, and I just, it was so clear to me seeing the video, like, wow, like I really was like, it was like I was, I was getting by on like 3% of the oxygen that 
out of a hundred percent. So yeah. Um, so you're talking about how? So yeah, I had this moment of grace where I saw two, two paths. paths ahead of me. One was this path of martyrdom where I was just giving up on my life, and um, something inside me started to scream when I saw that path. Like I was not born to be a martyr. I did not come all the way here onto this earth to martyr my life away. And then I immediately saw the life of somebody very, very close to me um, where the, the woman, the wife, the mother had martyred her life. And I saw that by being around her a lot, that she had resigned to a lot of things in her life. And I recognized it because of the, the place where I was at. Like I was at the place where I, I had kind of 98% martyred up until that point. And that 2% that I hadn't was the part that was screaming like, no. Right. Uh, and I recognized that in her. Because like you, you can easily spot where a person who is where you once were or where you are at the moment. You could just sniff them out immediately. So I recognized that she had done... She had martyred her life, and she was a lot older than me. And there was no joy, no true joy. There was no true uh, love. Like, she loved on her family, but it was more from a place of... It, it was her real love, but it, it was lacking, like, the juice of love, mm -hmm. you know, like that. And she just was locked in this. I saw her spirit was just locked in this cage. And I looked at her life and I was like, no, I don't, I, I will not choose that life. You know, so she was like 40 years older than me. I'm like, I'm not choosing that path. And then I saw the other path and the other path was so freaking scary. It was just, it was just this big empty void of unknowns and no idea. Just no guide, no no path ahead of me, no just like this dark forest almost, like dark. And those are my two paths. What do I choose? And so I went back and forth and I felt one. And then I felt the other. And then I felt one and I felt the other. And uh, what I got to was when I felt myself in the martyr path and saw the path of my life of staying in a relationship that really wasn't serving me, it wasn't healthy for me, um, versus the, the path that was so, 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 so scary, um, the path of staying and not shaking everyone, everything else up around me made me feel in my body. I got a physical sensation in my body like I'm about to collapse and die right now. Physically, I started feeling that. like. Like, I start almost blacking out. Like, I, I think I'll just collapse and die right now. Like, I can't even see how I could take a, like, last till I'm 70 years old on a path like this right. without dying first. And you saw it as the only option on that path? Yeah. Yeah, because I really had, at that point, 10 years in, I had hit so, 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 so many walls and turned so many stones over that, like, there there were no more avenues to explore. Um so then the other path was like, 
okay, so is it going to be me? <laughs> Another pass was like talking to me like, and I, and I was like, I, I have no idea what that is, but I, I know I can't choose the other path. And I have no idea what, what this, what this empty dark path is. No idea. I just know that's scary. And then, um, a few days later, or maybe it was the same day. I can't remember. Um, I had another moment of grace where I, I remember exactly where I was standing in my bedroom and the bathroom door was open and I had like, just, I was just seeing like towards the, the window in the bathroom and just seeing outside to the light. And all of a sudden I was seeing myself at the end of my life as an elder woman and looking back at the life that I had lived. And what I saw, well, first I, I, what I felt was immense pride. And then what I saw was that I had worked really hard in my life, like, to like toiled with the good kind of toil, not the kind that exhausts you and makes you feel like collapsing. The toil that I planted seeds, and now I'm looking and seeing that those seeds have turned into these beautiful trees that bear fruit. And, and I'm looking at this life that I, that I lived and the work that I have planted and, and that's blossomed and feeling immense pride. And like, wow, like, I'm so happy that I, that I lived the life that I lived, that I gave what I gave. And, um, and that moment has been, that vision has been pulling me through to this very moment. Awesome. And uh, it is it, very, very powerful for me. Very, very powerful for me. And so that was like the start for me of my entire healing journey, having that connection with me as an, as an elder. So let's talk about some of the, um, like kind of the unknowns on the way, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you alluded to the fact that there's very little support for the decision, right? Not communally, not within your family. I was saying your husband, your kids are thrown through something. Obviously, too young to support in any case, but that that um, that challenge, and then a number of others along the way. So, can you speak to some of like what those unknowns oh, were and what I've, some of those challenges were? Yeah, sure. Um, everything was an unknown. Every single thing was an unknown. Um, the only known was that. I had to take a jump off of this cliff. That was the only knowing that I had. And um, I'll start with just, I didn't have support from my family, from those closest to me, which besides for not having support and that being challenging and difficult, uh, it, was, it was a real punch in my gut for me. And, and you take emotional support. I'm... I'm saying the, just the, that emotionally to me. No, not having that, the emotional support of your family. Yeah, yeah not having yeah. the emotional support of my family was a punch in my gut um, because those are the people who I led in closest to me in my life, who I trusted. And it was like, and I had been a very strong support system to my family of origin for many, many years. 
and been the one to with my arms out saying come I'll hold you come I'll hold you I got you just come you know and and uh in a way I was that I was a safe my home was a safe haven for a lot of my family throughout the years that I was married and had a home of my own so it just felt like a betrayal like what are you like you're gonna just turn your back on me when when now I could use some support so on top of all the you know, I didn't expect that piece. I d definitely didn't expect it. Um, and I understand how it happened. And um, it's it's not of a fault of their own. I, I didn't share with anyone in my family as I was going through the challenges in my in my marriage and my own personal challenges during those years. I didn't share with anybody. And... Um, because I was busy supporting everybody. I was like, I'm not going to burden them with my right. stuff. I got this. I got this. I got this. I can take care of myself. That's, that was always my, I don't, I don't know where I picked that up. No, I actually, I do, I do know it was in the womb <laughs> that I made that decision that I got me. Um, but yeah, I walked through life since, since, since the womb. Um, with I got me, I got me, I got me. You don't have to worry about me. I'll take care of me. But everything kind of came to a head at my life at that point, and I really did need some support. And uh, so it felt like a big betrayal. So I didn't have the f the emotional support for my family um, until they caught on and understood. I filled them in on all the gaps, and then they understood what was going on, and then they jumped in with their support. And um, but for that very difficult period of the initial stages of going through divorce, I really was on my own. Um, the other unknown was financially. How am I going to get by? How am I going to support myself, me and my two daughters? And I, I was a stay-at-home mom for most of my marriage, and that was my joy. And that was something my ex-husband and I decided I would, that was what my role would be. Uh, and... I wouldn't change that for the world. Um, I never wanted someone else to be raising my my babies. I always wanted to be the one there uh, as a constant for them. And uh, but it did leave me in a very vulnerable position at this stage of my life. And uh, I had a little bit prior to coming to the the stage of going through the process of divorce, I had gone through a training to be a birth doula. Because ever since no, you were going through divorce or just no, no, no. Before I, okay. I mean, I things were already unraveling. You know, unraveling. But I was realizing like I, I there's something I I need to be sharing with the world. Like what is it? And when I really tuned in, it was like, oh, like I. I just love the world of, of birth and the miracle that it is. And ever since I had my own two girls, like it just opened that up for me. And I was like, I want to be part of that process and be supporting women. And I grew up with a mother who's, she's a birth doula. And so my whole childhood and, and, and she was always having babies and she was always going to births. And it just felt so, it was so much a part of my world and so much, I had so much love for it. So I went and took a training, but even that like, okay, so, I'm getting divorced. Uh, I can't even do be a birth doula anymore if I'm a single mother. And 
uh, home with two small daughters, who's who's going to stay with my kids on a moment's notice if I have to run to a birth in the middle of the night? Who am I going to call? I didn't have any family living in L.A. then. Uh, and even if I did, <laughs> who said they want to sign up for coming and, you know, drop of a hat and coming and taking care of my kids? Everyone's got their own their own life and responsibilities. So so even that, that I had had the training and I had, start, I had already started doulaying and, you know, that wasn't even something like uh, that I could continue with. I had to right. put that down and say, OK, that's for another time in my life when my when my girls are bigger and I can uh, leave whenever I need to leave to be by a birth. So that financial element was very scary for me. Um, and then yeah, all the details, like, you know, my children, my children, how are they going to take this? How is this going to be for them? I actually, you know, from the moment of that vision until I actually got divorced, uh, it took four years. Oh, wow. Okay, I know that. Four years. And uh, in those four years, I literally climbed every wall, turned over every stone, tried more avenues and more avenues to see, can I make this work so that I don't have to um, choose the path of divorce because put everyone else aside, I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to do that to my children. Uh, and I felt that it was me doing it. I was the one who was going to be causing this whole process as I moved through it and learned more about how it even transpired and the whole picture of it I got to understand no I didn't I didn't cause that the you know this started a long time ago that that's what it came to was a reality I had to accept this really wasn't working you can't you know fit a square peg into a round hole and just accepting that. Right. The sometimes. divorce kind of chooses itself. Yeah. And it was just about me me accepting it, the reality of it, and then dealing with what right. is. Although I don't think I've ever quoted him here. Um, I heard Manus Friedman say, divorce is never an option. Like, it just sometimes becomes the only choice. Right. Yeah, that's very much how, how it was for me. Like, I never, ever thought of divorce while I was married. Even when I had that moment of... Um, not, not, not while I was married up until a certain point, but for years and years and years and years and years, I didn't even think of divorce, even when things were really, really difficult. And, um, it just wasn't, it wasn't an option in my head. My mind didn't even go there. Uh, yeah, it only got, it only went there when really there was just no, no other way. Okay. So let's go to that because I kind of got to, um, know you and your family better like right probably right after the divorce right um see what year did you get divorced 2016 okay so that makes sense so Freddie and i got married 2017 right right so it was um at that time that i was reluctantly welcomed into the family and got to know some of the other, some, what do you mean reluctant? um some of the others and got and got to know some of the others and you and i you were in that state. It was far from, um, it was far from pretty at that state. Like it was, it was obviously a difficult. Um, so can can you talk to some of that, like what the the emotions of it more of that part of the process, 
Like when you came into the family? Well, right after divorce. Not so much about me. I'm just right saying after that. Divorce? Yeah, that, that's what I noticed. That's what I observed is like being in that state, right? It's easy for someone to look at you today and you're carrying yourself at a certain you're carrying yourself well and you're speaking clearly and things like that, but that wasn't where you were at all seven years ago. Okay. Right? Like very far from it. So I thought it'd be helpful to bring someone to those emotions because it wasn't okay, this doesn't work. I'm going to this other path. I have these few unknowns that get sorted out after two and a half months. Right. And now I'm sailing. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of confusion. Um, yeah. A lot of confusion through there. So in your case, I mean, this is a little bit different conversation than I typically have because I know some of the answers to my questions. I want to ask okay. them. I just want you to go where you're going. Yeah. Um, I mean, there, there's, I can speak of the emotions, but broader than that, it's, I'll start off by saying I was, I was really, really lost from myself. And that caused like a waterfall of, you know, that manifested itself in my life in, in a, in a myriad of ways. Um, and it was painful to be disconnected from myself and it was hard for me to be disconnected from myself. I felt very weak and at the mercy of what was thrown at me. Right. And, and I, and it was, and I, and I was so sensitive to what was being thrown at me that anything that was thrown at me would easily knock me off my center. And I just felt like I was being thrashed around in the waves and okay, which wave is coming next? Like I just knew another wave was coming and I was just kind of flailing. Um, and so my life felt like a roller coaster and, 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 and very out of control in internally, like my emotions were all over the place. Um, and with all that, I had a very, very strong resolve to be an anchor for my children at that time. So it was navigating, being calm, being a rock, being a support for my kids for whatever it is that they're going through, while at the same time dealing with crazy right. ups and downs, mostly downs, but like crazy emotions and um crises that i i was you know i feel like i was almost in a boxing ring at times like just you know okay what what's the next punch that's going to be thrown at me feeling um and you know i i'd put on the strong the strong me i was able to do that for my kids but then i you know after i'd put them to sleep at night I'd go into my room, close the door, and I was there was no resemblance of that strong me anymore. It was just um, a lot of feeling powerless. Right. So I sat here with um, Christian de la Huerta a few months back. Christian de la Huerta's done, he's led Breathworks for about 30 years. And I remember asking him what challenges like he what i don't know if it was what's the most common or maybe the most challenging challenges that he sees amongst people mm -hmm. and i think it was was what's the most common and where he where he went to is is when people are stuck in like victimhood right when people get into that state 
you know, kind of similar to what you described, like the world is throwing punches at me. What's going to come next? Mm -hmm. I feel like of weak and powerlessness, but it's all happening to the person. And um, like that, that shift is a very hard one for people to make. And probably what's inspired me most about watching your story is how, how deep you were in that, that state of, with good reason, I'm not, um, with good reason, right? There were a lot of explanations for why you would feel that way. But mm -hmm. at the same point in time, there was, there were other options. They were hard to find. There were small doors in the corner. You know, you really had to get out the microscope to find them, but they existed. You know, like you shared earlier in your, earlier when you were talking about your family, um, used the word betrayal, right? Mm -hmm. Their family not supporting you. But then when you came to the resolution of it, there was, hey, I never shared, mm -hmm. right? Like that was my, that was my decision. Where oftentimes through someone's journey, they, they never arrive at, at that. They're always in the, my family betrayed me or this happened and that happened. And never the, hey, what's a personal responsibility? What is the thing that I didn't do that now, not to blame, actually, it's actually a very empowering mm -hmm. um, perspective. It's like, hey, I wasn't doing this and now I could do this and then I'm home free. I don't need, I don't need anyone, anyone else to change. So, yeah. I figured to talk a little bit about that victimhood because I've spoken to, um, I've probably heard from about 10 women over the course of my life that they were married to the biggest narcissist in the world. I'm not saying you ever said that you've been very respectful of your ex-husband on this um, during this conversation and throughout while I've known you as well. Um, but I've, I've heard that from many people, right? And mm -hmm. I'm, sure, I'm sure one of them is saying the truth, but not all of them could be, mm -hmm. right? But sometimes it feels that way. It feels like we've ended up in a situation that is the <laughs> literally the worst right. that anyone has ever experienced um, in their life. And sometimes it can feel that way and we can get to a certain place and... Um, finding that finding that path out finding that door is hard to find so being that you agree with me that you were in that place mm -hmm. so how did you find the door out i really wanted to shift i just didn't know how to but the desire was there so I'll start with saying that um I recognized that I, I felt weak and powerless. And when I really, really tapped into to my truest self, I felt strength there. And actually being a mother uh, was the one area of my life where my strength was able to be present throughout all of this. And where my confidence was still, I, I still held confidence in my abilities as a mother. I was very confident in trusting my maternal instinct, my maternal knowing about what my children needed, about how to be there for them. And so I really think that that was the thread that I was able to pull, to learn from right, and to spread it into the other areas of my life. If I can be this here, then I can be. Right. That means I do have the ability to be strong. I do have the ability to be confident in my abilities and in and trusting in my knowing. But for some reason, it's completely like shut down or blocked in all these other areas of my life. Um, so 
I started to borrow from that place. And it was my, I was going to therapy at the time. And I, I think it it's was. a dangerous place to go. <laughs> <laughs> therapy was, <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I was going to therapy and uh, I remember my therapist pointing out to me, I think she was the one who pointed out to me, like, and how do you feel about, you know, being a mother and, and your, you know, your abilities and this and that. And all of a sudden, my entire body language, my voice, my tone, everything changed. I noticed it. Like, it was noticeable. I, like, my voice became stronger. I sat straighter. My feeling in my body was like this feeling of strength and and I think she was the one who pointed out to me like it's interesting like you, you you're so strong and confident in, in this area you know she just like made a comment right. about it and I said yeah I am <laughs> because I I really I really I know like I know what my kids need and I know what kind of mother I am that no matter what, like I'm, I'm there for my kids. They're my, they're my first and foremost. I'm responsible for them. I'm, I'm nurturing them. I'm loving them. I'm giving to them. Like I'm in tune with them. And like, it really was, um, you know, like looking back at my story, like my being a mother saved me. Being a mother saved me. Which is where your story started. Right, when you were talking about that yes. at the beginning. I, I was born into motherhood. <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, so because being mother was always a place for me that I just, I know without a shadow of a doubt that I know how to mother. Your kids are going to have the final say on that. You know that. Of course. <laughs> and, and, you know, they, <laughs> I'm not perfect, but I know, I know what it means to be mother. Yeah. So, um, so I started borrowing from that a little bit, a little bit, you know, it was, you know, think of all the areas of my life where I walk and navigate and have to show up. And, the, and then the area of mother, there's one piece that's mother, and then there's all these other areas. So that's a lot of area that I have to start to embody and incorporate my power, my strength, my confidence, confidence um, my autonomy, and my wisdom, my, my sense of knowing. So it took a long time, a long, long time, but it's really started with the willpower that I don't want to live the rest of my life with this feeling and with this experience of feeling powerless and feeling weak and feeling at the mercy of what's coming, what's being thrown at me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What I've um, noticed with you and with a lot of others who are just going through like a separation and divorce, right? Cause I have the um, distinct benefit of getting calls from people when they're in distress, <laughs> for whatever reason. <laughs> and uh, so I hear the stories and I, see the patterns in the stories or try to and um one of those is like the shift happens when someone recognizes like the 
where they need to be oriented, where it needs to be oriented in order to change your life is inward, right? It often starts right afterwards. It's, hey, if only I can get my ex to be more accommodating with the schedule. If only I can get my ex to send me a few more shekel. If only I can get my ex mm-hmm. um, to, you know, move to the city I want to move. If only I can get my family to do X for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? If only I could, if, if only, if only, if only, then suddenly my life would be good. Yeah. And that dance is played out for a period of time, unfortunately for some people until they're under their life, mm-hmm. right? If only I can change everything on the outside, everything on the inside would feel good. And then some people orient inwards and say, nothing has to change on the outside for everything has to, to for everything to be able to change on the inside. And then when that changes, then magically the the outside seems to change yeah. as well. Yeah. So um that's the that's a journey I'd love to talk about. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, in your case, plant medicine has become a super important part of um of your life. So I'd love to kind of weave that in. Weave yeah. That in. Yeah, yeah, it flows right into that because that was, that was the progression, actually. Um, I got one more very important tip from my therapist at that time. In She gave me a very visual person, and she gave me a sort of like a visual exercise and said, try this. And she said, imagine every time that something's being thrown at you, right? That's your experience of it. Um, you are in a helicopter. You're at Niagara Falls. Have you been to Niagara mm-hmm. Falls? Okay. You're at Niagara Falls. So Niagara Falls, like the the it's this crazy whole sec like huge section of waterfalls with water pouring in like it, crazy force, crazy power. It thunders. And you're at Niagara Falls and you're in a helicopter. Okay. The falls are happening. You get to choose where you are. You, your helicopter can get sucked into the falls and you can be obliterated. Um, you can stay above it and watch the falls happening. And you have that choice in every single one of these situations. So start to when, start to notice when you're getting sucked down by the falls and when you're when you recognize that you're that you're sucked in, put yourself in the helicopter and go above it and watch it. And uh, don't beat yourself up for getting sucked into the falls. The point of this exercise is not that you're not going to get sucked into the falls. The point of it is how quickly can you put yourself back up into the helicopter and start putting yourself back up in the helicopter, start catching yourself faster and faster and putting your, right. not being sucked under for as long. Just start with that. And it was an amazing it really helped me like that simple visual because I started to become aware and recognize the feelings in my body, the, the, the tension, the, the rapid heart rate, the, my stomach clenching up, the, you know, feeling like I need to call one of my closest family members and start, you know, venting about the, the new drama that was happening and the new, the new punch that was being thrown at me or the new crisis that I was dealing with or just breaking down crying. And uh, I started to do this exercise and I started to have crazy awareness very quickly about, oh, oh, where am I now? Oh, I'm getting sucked into the 
I'm under the falls. Okay, let me put myself in the helicopter. And I started doing it and getting better at it and better at it and better at it. Um, So that was a very big piece for me that started to help me to shift. Right. The reason reason I'm smiling is because um, as you're talking, I'm being brought back to an ayahuasca journey I once had where um, it was like, okay, we're going to play a game, right? And the game is, can you breathe through that? Can you breathe through that? It's a game of life. Mm-hmm. It's like, can you breathe, can you breathe through that? Mm-hmm. And then like over and over, just like for hours, like it threw me through different experiences. Right. And some which happened and some which felt like they were happening. Mm-hmm. Like some which happened in real life and brought me back there and some which felt like they um, were happening. Like for, for a moment, for a breath in that experience, I was a billionaire. For a breath in that experience, I was a pauper. Right. And it's like, could you, could you breathe through that? Could you breathe through that? Can you breathe through that? And it was almost like, that is the, that is the game of life. Right. It's like, okay, we're going to go in. And the only thing you got to do is like, there's going to be experience and just breathe in and out. And what breathe in and out means essentially is take in the full experience and then let it all out. Like don't attach to any of it. The mo- like there's, there's something rough that happened. Okay. It's tough and painful mm-hmm. in the moment, but there's no attachment. The suffering is the attachment. Mm-hmm. But what was interesting through that journey, and then I'll go back to you, I just... You know, I, I was thinking about it and smiling, so I figured let me get it out and go back yeah. here. I'll purge this out. So was actually how the the more the the more beautiful experiences, quote unquote, were the ones that were much harder to breathe through. Hmm. Were much, much more difficult. It was like the idea like praise is much stickier than criticism. Like criticism is like um a thorn. And as soon as you get it, you just want to yank it out. And it's hard because like another thorn, so you pull it out and now it's stuck in your finger. So it's a little bit tough to pull out a thorn, but it's much tougher to get honey off you. Praise is like honey. Right. And then it's like some honey is put on us and all we want to do is like massage it in. Right. <laughs> more, <laughs> yeah. more and more. But now that yeah. like that's stuck to us, that's stuck to us as well. So anyway, there was that thought, can we breathe through that? And I felt like the analogy of the helicopter and the falls is kind of like the same idea. It's mm-hmm. like, can you... Can you breathe through that experience or are you going to get sucked into it? Mm-hmm. Are you going to get attached to it mm-hmm. in some way? Anyway, mm-hmm. back to you. Yeah. So shortly after practicing that exercise and starting to gain some sort of awareness around what I was subjecting myself to by allowing myself mm-hmm. to get sucked in all the time, I got introduced to plant medicine by you. Indeed. <laughs> Thank you very much. Indeed. Um, you paid me back quickly, by the way, because I introduced you to plant medicines, mm-hmm. and then you very quickly introduced me to ayahuasca. Yeah. So the repayment was very, very quick. <laughs> yeah, I was telling that. To, I came up in conversation last night because it was talking about how the plant medicines led me directly to ayahuasca. Um, they themselves, like the messages that I got after my second plant medicine journey was this crazy, like magical, you know, but now I understand like, this is how the plants work. Um, they're on their own mission of, you know, getting mm-hmm. people to, to come. Uh, but the, the message was when, and it wouldn't stop like screaming at me, like, go talk to your friend, the specific friend in LA about plant medicine. And I was like, he's going to think I'm trying to fix him. Like I'm not <laughs> like, and I was resisting it and it kept screaming at me. And then I call him and I, and we're talking and I said, I know this is going to sound crazy. Have you ever heard of plant medicine journeys? And he literally broke down crying. He's like, why are you asking me this? And I was like, I just had, a, I just experienced a journey last week. And 
keep telling me to come talk to you about it. And he's like, you don't understand. This is crazy. I just sat in a plant medicine journey all weekend. I'm still with the group. We mm. just did beach sunset yoga. Like we're, I stepped away from the group to take this phone call. Like this is nuts. I had no idea you were into this. It's just crazy. We need to sit and talk about this. So later that night, um, we spoke about it and he's like, tell me about what you experienced. And I told him, and then he's like, oh, okay. That sounds beautiful. I'm, it's great that you did that. You need to come to ayahuasca. <laughs> and I was like, well, tell me about ayahuasca. And he told me about it. And he's like, they're having another ceremony. Um, two months from now, Labor Day weekend, come. And I was like, I just did plant medicine a week ago. I don't know if I'm going to be ready for another journey two months from now. It might be very soon for me. Let me feel it out. And I went home and I and I asked myself and I felt it out. And like within a week, there was a clear answer that came through that was like, go. And so it was just this direct connection of like the plant medicine just led me straight right. to ayahuasca. And then, yeah, it just goes back in the circle back to you. Um, but it felt good that to share to share it back with you. Uh, <laughs> still feels good. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so shortly after starting to gain some sort of the, the first inklings of awareness around my own autonomy in any of it was through the plants no no no. doing that exercise with the helicopter oh, okay. and falls was the first little light bulb oh i got you that it awakened in me like oh i can actually i have a choice have, i have a say here i have a say here so it woke that up then you told me about plant medicine. And um, actually, before you told me about plant medicine, we were, you, I remember uh, we had a conversation where you, I guess you saw that I, I'd been in therapy for years, and I guess you saw that I'd outgrown it and before I saw it. Um, Freddy saw that. Or, oh, okay. Freddy saw that. She told me she sent me to take care of it. Okay. That's okay. most of what I'm doing. So she sends me on the... This is the power couple here. <laughs> she sends me on the mission. I take care of it. No, so... Yeah. So I remember having a conversation where you delivered that message to me and you were like, listen, like therapy is great for a certain stage of the process, but it's not... It only leads you to a certain place. It can only take you so far. And once you get to that place, like there's more beyond that. Right. Realistically, like I'd been in therapy for a long time. And it only gets you so far. I'll tell you where the, you know where the drop off with therapy is is spirituality. Well, that's what you exactly what you that's said. That's what I said to me. then. That's what okay, you said. Nice. You said, and I was not talking about plants then. No, no, no. I was talking about the twelve step program. Like that was my experience with the twelve uh -huh. steps. Yeah, you didn't mention plants then. Okay. You just said to me beyond after therapy, there's spirituality, and I was remember, I remember just being like so confused when I heard that because I was like, what do you mean by that spirituality? Like I always felt. Throughout everything, I always felt very spiritually connected. And I was like, so, so what is, so, so do what with that? What am I supposed to do with that? And I heard you. And I was like, okay, you know, I, I gave an opening. I respect you and I, and I respected you then. And I, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm here to hear it, but I don't, I don't really know what that, what that looks like, what that means. Um, but then, like, literally, a m not even a month later, it was, like, shortly after, I flew into Miami, uh, got on a red eye, got there Friday morning, and Freddie's like, oh, uh, Ellie's um, on a journey. 
<laughs> and I was like a journey. Like, what do you, what, he, he went somewhere and, 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 uh, and she, and she started describing to me about like plant medicine journey. And, and I think it was maybe like your second or third one. It was, yeah. you know, you, it was earlier in the process. I think, I, I think it was your second one. Cause she said she was describing to me. I said, what is it? She goes, I don't really know what it is, but I just know that like he came home and he said he saw things that he wasn't able to see before. And he's been a, a better husband and a better father <laughs> since he came home. So that's all. She's pretty much all she knew, like that, that she shared with me in that like blurb of a of an explanation. And then like we conversation got carried into something else, and an hour or two later, her phone rings and it was you calling. And she's like, "That's so weird that he's calling in the middle of his journey. He doesn't usually even have his phone on him." And she picks up the phone and you said to her, um, "You probably I don't know if you remember what you said to her if you were." And you said to her, ask Tani if uh, if she wants to come do a, a plant medicine journey next weekend, uh, this coming weekend, they're having one just for women. And she asked me, and I did not know what that looked like, what it what I all I knew was what she told me, like that you that you you did a journey and you can't you saw things that you hadn't seen before, and it, it was helping you become a better person and a better husband and a better father. And I was like. And um, so it really wasn't even what she said to me. It was like, because I re there really wasn't enough information to make a decision. Do I want to jump in and do something like this? this? The second the question got asked, like every single cell in my body, every single part of my gut and my spirit, every part of me was like screaming yes. And I just trusted it. I just trusted it. And I was like, okay, yeah, I want to. I'll do it. And I just took a leap of just going with what was a screaming yes. And that was a huge turning point for me with when it comes to um, that, that victim um, state of being that I had been living in for a long time. And um, everything started to shift from there in a, in a big way. I, I can't really it's a combination, like with plant medicine, it's such a combination of like, it's, it's mysterious in a way how the plants work. I can't really say, Oh, it, it, it was this thing. It was that thing, the other thing. Um, but something huge shifted inside of me. And one thing it did show me was, um, I saw a vision of, uh, me, my ex-husband and my two daughters in a circle. And there was beautiful peace between all of us. And it was like everything was healed. Everything was healed. And I and I and I didn't even go into that journey with like an intention of I want to heal everything between, you know, me and my ex-husband. Make I, I I just went in like completely on faith. Like I don't know something about this feels right. I'm doing it. And so I wasn't pinpointing a an area of my life that I wanted to focus on. And it showed me this vision. And I remember while I was seeing the vision, I was asking the plant, like the medicine, I was asking like, uh, I don't understand, like, I, that's possible? Like, that's, is that possible? And then I'm hearing like, yeah, like, that's possible. And I was like, really? I was like, wow. Just opened up the channel of possibility for that to be. And um, when I came home, like, just miracles started to happen in that area of my life. And, uh, and in all areas of my life, um, but the, the huge shift that of, of, of shifting from the path of, 
I'm, pow- I'm powerless, um, victim of my circumstances. Uh, life just keeps throwing things at me. Um, to I have a say in it. I have a say in it. There's a choice. There's a choice. There's a choice. There's a choice. Yeah. I think like many people um, talk about, you know, Viktor Frankl's man's search for meaning. Mm -hmm. And it's considered like a lot of people like will write top 50 books, top 20 books, top 100 books ever written. And they talk about man's search for meaning. But the irony is that his model of therapy, Logos therapy, has not been um, adopted in any meaningful way. Like mm-hmm. people will make fun of Freud mm-hmm. and put Viktor Frankl on a pedestal, but Freud's model is practiced in some to some degree. Or maybe some take criticism. We're not lying down on a couch and we're sitting sitting up, but his like general theory is practiced. Mm-hmm. And um, Viktor Frankl, which is you know held up as this amazing idea, very few therapists actually have the the gumption to ever tell their client. Like, hey, find meaning in your story. Right. <laughs> you know, find meaning in your story. If you find meaning, you can get through everything. And another level of that, a big part of his story was that there's always a choice, right? Mm-hmm. There's always a space between stimulus and response. And that's where the human lives, right? The human doesn't control the world, but with the human, like human meaning as opposed to an animal, that a human has the, be- the ability to make a choice. An animal doesn't. Mm-hmm. And that ability to make a choice doesn't always come in the sense of, can I go to dinner tonight? Mm-hmm. Can I you know, fly somewhere and not fly somewhere. Sometimes we're held up in different ways, physically, financially, by responsibilities, but right. there's always the, this choice. And then he obviously used the extreme example of the Holocaust to make that point that even there, with no food and no freedom and no everything else, there was the freedom of his perspective. And right. could I find meaning in this, this journey? At the time when I spoke about spirituality, you know, I had found that therapy got me to a certain point, mm-hmm. but I was still very much in addiction. Mm-hmm. And when I moved to the 12 steps, all of a sudden, the you know, the sponsors or the guides that I was talking to there were willing to challenge me on a completely different level. And one of those was, like I said, like, um, victimhood is the idea that, you know, all these bad things are happening to me. Right. And, and the, the, the change will be all these bad happening, all these things are happening for me, right? Like more mm-hmm. of that positive thing, which I think the 12 steps allowed for me to to see the world in a more spiritual way which is there's a guide there's a creator i'm cared for and all of this has been precisely orchestrated and is being coordinated in order to bring me to a certain destination mm-hmm. and then i think plant medicine kind of pushes you to that next step where it's not to or for me it's like all these things are happening through me like the self can just be completely i would say completely obliterated ourselves are definitely very present, but there's, you see the potential for the first time. I, I saw the potential for the first time for brief moments for the self to be obliterated mm-hmm. and then for something to happen through us. And that's yeah. like, wow, like this is not, <laughs> yeah. this is nuts. Yeah. Like I was there for the show, but I had nothing to do with it. Right. Yeah. But it did happen through me. <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a wild, um, it's a wild journey. I just wanted to put a little meat on the bone of what I meant then by spirituality and then kind of like it just, you know, evolves. Yeah. Oh, I understand now. But, you know. Yeah, not uh, only for you. Like, <laughs> but yeah. I wanted you to forget the mics. Yeah. I don't forget the mics. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Meaning I understand there's an audience that I'm talking to. That's okay. Yeah. 
Gotcha. Did we forget the mics during this at some point? Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Good job. Okay, good job. Good. <laughs> You're doing it. Um, yeah. So it was my process of shifting was, um, it was, it, it's been a journey. It's been a journey. And like, you know, pulling on that thread that I spoke of earlier mm -hmm. of the strength that I always carried in my role as a mother, uh, I started to, to pull on it and spread it to other areas of my life. Um, what. So let's do this just okay. in the interest of time. I want to yeah. like shorten. Um, there's obviously a lot more we can talk about, a lot more we can pull apart, but I do want to get to kind of what you, what you do today. Yeah. So, um, I mean, recently you started hosting different cacao ceremonies and hape ceremonies, and mm -hmm. you help people with integration on plant medicine. You'll travel to other countries, work with them on plant medicine. So I wanted to speak to more about what you do. Is it specifically women you work with? or No, I work with men and women. Um, I, I do a monthly circle just for women where I do a new moon cacao ceremony. This is in L.A.? In L.A., yeah. I've been doing that for know, maybe a year and a half now. I started off not doing it every single month and then uh, started to realize that people really were uh, getting such nourishment from that space and, and wanting more of it. So I started to be consistent with it and, and opening it to an every month, a monthly right. uh, ceremony. Consistency is key. Yeah. That's like what a mother provides different than, amongst other things, one of the things a mother provides different than a father is the consistency. Right. Right, like that. But even with everything, with the podcast, with our events, with everything we found, if it's not consistent, it basically doesn't exist because someone can't rely on it. It's not a dependable avenue. Right. I remember you, you were the one who said to me, like, if you, if you bring consistency to it, people will know they can rely on it. And when you said that to me, it just made a lot of sense. And I said, the whole reason why I was from the start, opening up these spaces for people is uh, so that they know it's there and they have it, they can rely on it. Exactly. So, okay, let me just get more consistent so that it's there in a way where, you know, people know, oh, that's coming for me. You know, like I, I have that, you know, one more week and, and I'll be able to be in that sort of space. Exactly. Uh, and, and I'll also, um, part of the work that I'm doing now is teaching people how to create this space for themselves within themselves and within their own surroundings as well uh, because you don't need to wait until you're in a ceremony space or 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 you know in a a space that was created for you to to have this sort of experience you can create it for yourself right too a big like message of mine lately has been you know, a lot around, around the Adama retreat we do this, is that oftentimes, even when people get into plant medicines, right, there's a lot of beauty that comes from there, a lot of growth, but it feels like, okay, what do I do until the next one? Mm -hmm. And in fact, that's not needed at all. There are a lot of things, like you're talking about, that could be done to, to connect on some level to those spaces yeah. without going there. It doesn't have to be a, exactly. a whole trip, a whole weekend, a whole to-do. Yeah. It can happen in a few minutes. Tonight after this, and the reason why there's short a little bit is at the House of More, um, myself and the gentleman Michael Klein, we're going to be hosting a, 
little hape ceremony. And that's it. It's a way to connect and reconnect to the space, both for myself and the others there. And um, no psychedelic medicines, no big journey. Just mm -hmm. a little music, a little tobacco, and off we go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, um, a big, and I recognize that, and I've recognized that for some time. And a big part of what I'm focusing now to, to give to people is um, supporting people and teaching people how to uh, integrate and embody everything it is that they are learning and have learned and have uh, seen and remembered through, you know, very much through plant medicine work, uh, but also in general in life. Um, you know, because we, we, we oftentimes do, even without plant medicine, like we'll see a truth, we'll understand something about our life, but then it's like, okay, we saw it for a moment. Now, what are we going to do with it? Correct. So it's great to see it. And it's very exciting in the moment. Right. Okay. You feel I can do this forever. It's like, wow. <laughs> yeah. And then you go back to your life and like all the, the routines and the same environments that you're used to. And are you able to carry that into, to your life? Are you able to bring it into your body? So that's a lot of my focus now as well, because I recognize that, especially with plant medicine work, um, it's all very exciting to see what the plants gift us to show us. Uh, the real work really is taking it home with you, taking it home with you. Okay, what are you going to do with, with that seeing, with that knowing, with that remembering? How, how, how are you going to... Um, how are you going to utilize or not utilize that gift? Yeah. Right. I had a vision on um, one of my first ayahuasca journeys. And it was a vision of myself and Freddy kind of as, as one, you know? Mm -hmm. And I remember like watching this. I was like, how can two become one? And then like the vision ended. It was like, don't ask questions. You're just seeing something. And um, it showed me more stuff about the, the potential of our relationship, right? Like mm -hmm. a vision. Mm -hmm. And... Um, it's been on like, I mean, I, I guess I easily could have forgotten it, right? but, I, but I haven't and I've chose not to. I want to, like, I want to remember it, but it's been, there's, there's two sides to that vision. Mm -hmm. And I've definitely been tormenting Freddy with it in the sense that on the one hand, there's like, hey, that's possible. Kind of similar when you, when you mentioned the sitting in a circle with your um, ex-husband and your two daughters and saying like, wow, complete peace is possible. Before that vision, that like that level of attainment doesn't even seem doable. It's like not even on the menu. Right. It's, it's not like, even you can't even envision, imagine it as a possibility. Right. Hey, yeah. if we're if we're sitting in the same room at their wedding, like that's pretty good, right? Like at their wedding, we're both there. Like we we did great. Congratulations. We did better than most couples who got divorced. Right. And like that level of peace almost seems not possible. So I saw certain things about our relationship, which is like the way a couple can feel together, the the closeness, the um the the oneness, mm -hmm. right? All of that. And on the one hand, there's this vision that gets created for us, like, hey, this is possible. Mm -hmm. On the other hand is the the work <laughs> that right. gets demanded um right. from us. That's what I mean. I've been tormenting Freddy by it because in a sense it's like, hey, this is this is possible for us. Right. And the knowledge that I sit with and as I remember that experience each time is, what, what's the word you taught me at the beginning of this? Re-remember. Mm -hmm. right? So as I re-remember that 
each time is like, hey, this is possible. Like, this is actually possible for us. Mm-hmm. And then I'll come back to it's like, hey, like, <laughs> you know, something off. She's like, what are you talking about? We're doing great. Like, you know, you should talk to all my friends. And I'm like, no, like, I saw, I saw the thing. I saw the thing. Yeah. I know the gap. Yeah. Right. So, um, the reason I bring that up is that sometimes, like, a simple vision and a ceremony can turn into like a lifetime of work. That's what it is. I mean, many times that's what it is. I, I, after my first ayahuasca experience, I watched a little YouTube of Gabor Mate speaking about ayahuasca, and he was saying that ayahuasca gives you two gifts. I think it gives more than two, but he was speaking about two specific gifts. He says ayahuasca will give you a vision and show you what's possible. And then after ceremony for a brief period, you experience that possibility and that will fade right over whether it's a week two weeks after my first ayahuasca experience it was a month i had a full month of the experience of living my life in with complete lightness and joy and i had removed all the burdens of the ancestral suffering that i'd been carrying my whole life and for a month i was like oh my god this is insane i never thought this was possible i'm like I'm, I, I, like I took a hundred thousand tons off my shoulders and I, I didn't even recognize the world anymore. Everything looked and felt completely different. And after a month, all of a sudden I'm in the shower one morning and I start getting this feeling of heaviness. And I'm like, but I know that feeling. Where is that coming from? I, I, it was a Sunday morning. There was nothing sad. There was nothing, no drama. There, everything was great. Like, why am I feeling this feeling? And then I was like, and then it, I remembered what Gabor Mate said. I was like, oh my gosh, like the gift that ayahuasca gave me lasted a full month, but it's it's fading. It's on its way out. Like, and so he was saying that so that vision that it gives you of what's possible, it gives you the gift of that so that you um that you know it's possible. And then when you go back to your life, you're here, the vi- the vision of what's possible is here. That's where your work is. Correct. So you're getting it's showing you a line of a path to get there. So now you get on that path and you do the work, you do the work, you do the work, you do the work. And it's showing you that when you consistently do that work through your life, that's what that's the what the reward is going to be. But it doesn't mean and 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 very often it's a lifetime of work. So, you know, the thing about like plant medicine, it shows you that and you think, oh my God, I can have this, I can have it tomorrow, I can have it tonight just remember the vision is just the guide to where the work is and uh yeah if someone wants to work with you how do they find you i'm on instagram so uh natanya light and uh people can no underscores no hyphens no no just natanya light and people can message me directly on there yeah good awesome okay i'm sure they will so I'm sure they will. You know, I think that, um, I think everyone, like I think all families should do this thing where you put a microphone and cameras. We didn't record, right, Tyler? There was nothing recorded. It was a little, <laughs> right? That all should do this thing so people get to know each other because, um, yeah, it's it's neat because, I mean, although we're, um, we're family, like these kind of conversations don't happen. I learned a lot about you in this conversation that I didn't know previously. So it's, um, it's cool. I had a feeling, no, I, I, I envisioned this and at this conversation, I was like, and exactly what you said, I, I was thinking about it and I was like, 
it's really like crazy how sometimes like the people who are closest to us, we, we can just like miss chunks of them by not creating a space to like have real, real conversations without interruptions, without, you know, logistics and real life stuff having, you know, and just sitting and talking. Um, right. Yeah. That's really what this allows. The podcast is total BS. Like it's nothing to do with anything. Yeah. I keep trying to explain it, but it has nothing to do with anything. Yeah. But it's, this was useful whether or not it gets posted. That's why I said before it, it turned on. It has nothing to do with if it gets posted and other people like it, like cool. But they be, they become the excuse for this to happen because these conversations obviously don't happen enough. So like no phones, no distractions, no anything else. So it was neat. There's definitely a lot more in your story. We definitely can pull apart a lot of other details and mm -hmm. a lot more to... Um, could have spoken about, but there is a hape ceremony in 20 minutes. That's, yeah. So okay. we will let the um, the signs of the universe let us know that this has come to an end. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us. You feel good about it? Yeah, I feel really good. Thank you for inviting me and and thank you for this conversation. It's really thank nice you. to sit with you and talk. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. I'm sure it's going to help many people if you choose to uh, release it. <laughs> that would be beautiful. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you.